KanjiCast, the podcast you never made a deal with. We're also the show that didn't make the castle run in 12 parsecs, even if you round down. But we do provide an Asian perspective into the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Brian and Jay. Hello. Hello. On today's episode, we're talking about the Rise of Skywalker. So sit back and enjoy the show. And um, actually, guys, I, I forgot to tell you this before. I have some news for you. This is not going to be the Rise of Skywalker. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Damn it, I thought I we were going to talk about Animal Crossing. <laughs> there was actually a request. Uh, I think this was on Monday for us to talk about Animal Crossing. But at the time, I think uh, Jay had not yet uh, bought the game for the crown. And so it would have just been Brian, because I still don't have a Switch. Maybe one day. <laughs> I think what you're saying here is Bria needs to get a Switch so next month we can talk about Animal Crossing. Okay, Bria is trying to get a Switch, but there are several other factors at play right now that are working very hard against me. <laughs> Damn it, universe, get cooperating. We need to record about Animal Crossing. Except the first game I'm going to play is not going to be Animal Crossing. Sorry. I mean, we can discuss Fire Emblem, too. That is actually totally fine. I'm down to discuss would... Fire Emblem. Ooh. Oh, Our no, schedule just changed schedule. again, listeners. No! <laughs> I want our listeners to know that I put so much thought into our schedule for this year. Like, I I laid out like the first half of the year all the way back in December. And it has changed so much since then. <laughs> you, you get a schedule and then within five minutes of us getting on a call and starting to talk to each other, the schedule changes. Ah. <sighs> Okay, you know what? I'm not going to look at the schedule right now. We're just not going to do that. Instead, we're going to go to the news with, and then there's this. And the first one, it makes me super, super happy because a trailer popped up for it um, on Twitter today, and I basically died. Uh, Netflix is releasing a movie on May 1st uh, titled The Half of It. Um, it is starring Leah Lewis as Ellie Chiu, and it's directed by Alice Liu, and it is queer, and the tagline is, not every story is a romance, and I basically died just from watching the trailer, because it looks so adorable and so completely and utterly up my alley, and it has an Asian protagonist, and she's adorable. Aww. I, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I was reading up on it, and I one of my thoughts was, hmm, did someone reach into Bria's brain and pull this out? Maybe into my heart. I don't know. <laughs> Jay, did you watch it when you? Yeah, it? I saw the trailer and it looks delightful. And I actually am also very interested in watching it. Does this mean you guys are actually going to watch it? Like you didn't watch a certain other Asian? I mean, I watched half of that. Mm. Well, I need to find something to do now that I'm not commuting. See, there you go. You guys are going to be out of excuses. Um. Just like I am now with our next bullet point for the news, because Parasite is now streaming on Hulu. Uh, <laughs> so I guess this means I do need to watch it, uh, which I've been meaning to do. I just never got to the movie theaters before it was out of theaters. Uh, Brian, remind me, had you seen it yet? I have not. It's on my list to watch uh, in the next couple of weeks. Got it. Jay, I've heard talk that this is a pretty appropriate movie to be watching right now. Yes or no? Or is this yeah. I mean, so it's it's not really well. Yeah, I, I don't think I want to get into it. I just think that 
it, it's a great movie to watch just in general, and I think people are going to love it. Okay. Good to know. I'm glad that the streaming services are here for us um, and making sure they're dropping lots of new content in our time of need. Because between this and then I think in the middle of May is when the last season of She-Ra is dropping. Oh, that's right. I'm like two seasons behind in that. I need to catch up. I'm so sad it's the you last should. season. But I'm glad she seems to be there seem to be ending it on their terms. So yeah, that makes that's, me happy. That's good. Yeah. Um actually, oh, uh well, I'm thinking of it. I think I also saw talk that uh a bunch of the other movies that the Parasite director did are also gonna be dropping on Hulu or have dropped on Hulu. Oh good, because I need to see like Snowpiercer and a bunch of the other ones that he's done. Oh, you've never seen Snowpiercer? I have not. Whoa. Oh, dude, you're in for a treat. I mean a messed up treat, but it's good. Oh man. Uh, the next bullet point, uh, apparently there is, they're doing a Doogie Hauser reboot set in Hawaii, starring a half Asian, half white character, uh, as the main character. Wait, what? And the- I believe the, yeah. yeah. Huh? Yeah. Hold on. Wait, wait. Where's the tweet? Someone has the tweet. I have to, I feel I, like you I'm, need to see this. I'm legitimately it. surprised that hasn't popped up on my retro TV radar. I think it said Disney Plus. Dude, Here, I will. Hauser. I will. Hold on, I'll send it to you. Here we go. I'll yeah, be, I'll be damned. Yep, Disney Doogie Plus. Has, that's correct. Doogie has a reboot with female lead in development at Disney Plus. Yep. Huh. So, I am hoping though that when they say half Asian, that they're actually going. To make it half Hawaiian, yeah, yeah, especially being set in Hawaii, yeah, because that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the working title for the new show is Doogie Kialoa, MD. Okay, then it has to be an actual an Islander. Yeah, yeah. That's that will be even cooler though. Is if instead of half white, the character is half Asian and half Pacific Islander. Oh, that would have been. I cool, think in yeah. the variety tweet they did say half Asian, half white. Yeah, and they I'm, did. I'm reading. Yep. I'm hoping they're wrong, or, but you know, it's a development. Who knows what they're going to do? That's true. It's just a working title after all. So who knows what they're? I don't know if they've even casted anyone yet. I didn't actually read the article. <laughs> who reads articles, guys? Um, but either way, like I'm tentatively interested in it. Uh, I'm surprised that they're. Oh, they're like full the, on calling it a reboot. It's uh, it's a bunch of the fresh off the boat team working on this. Yeah, Courtney Kang. Oh, Courtney okay. Kang, Jake Kazan, and Melvin Marr. Interesting. Cool. Uh, all I will say is, don't I change mean- the theme song. <laughs> the theme song is perfection. <laughs> Leave it, and don't change the computer that the doctor writes on either. <laughs> Oh god. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be like uh some Packard Bell 386, right? Exactly. Is this the part where I admit that I never actually saw the original Doogie Hauser? I mean, I've only seen oh. episodes here and there in syndication. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Um 
See, it was one of my favorite shows growing up. I loved it as a kid back when I was still thinking about being a doctor in my crazy childhood. <laughs> so in other words, this is pretty high up on your uh, on your radar then. Oh, yeah, I think so. Not that I remember anything about the original show other than the computer, but yeah. Like, literally all I remember are those computer scenes where Neil Patrick Harris is typing, looks up, smiles, nods thoughtfully, and goes back to typing. All right, and it's always like the end of the episode, like the Dear Diary type of thing. Exactly. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. We'll be interested to see how this one... Whichever listeners had a Doogie Howser uh, tangent... On your bingo card today. Congratulations. Did anyone? <laughs> Someone had to have. Wait, do we have a bingo card? If not, we should, damn it. Ooh. There's a template going around Twitter. Maybe we should do this. I but agree. not now. Uh, <laughs> it will It will come, okay. listeners. The hardest space point. to fill while Kenja Cass talks about the Rise of Skywalker. Never. That no, will most certainly not be the free space. We just end the episode right here. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, but we still have another point, bullet point on our news we have to go through. Um, because obviously everything in this world is different and uh, being delayed or canceled right now. The There have been a bunch of movies that got rescheduled. Um, so now a bunch of Disney and MCU. So um, Mulan is now going to be July 24th. Uh, and then the MCU films got moved around. Black Widow, I believe, is in November now. Yes. yes. Um, Eternals is February 12th. Chang-Chi is May 7th. Um, I believe they also, they're not written down here since, I believe, because they're not, you know, Asian related. But I believe they also put out a date for Black Panther 2. Yes, I think that was the only one that was unaffected by the delay. It's just 20, it's coming out. It was originally planned to come out in like 2022 anyway. And so that's yes. like not being bumped. Yes. And then they confirmed that Captain Marvel 2 will be 2022 as well, I believe. Weirdly, I think yes. that was the first official acknowledgement that Captain Marvel 2 was happening. Not that there was any doubt. Yes. But first time yeah. it was actually said. Yeah. And the first time we knew where it was falling on the slate. Um, we still don't know anything about how all of this is going to affect the TV shows, because I believe, what was the first one we were going to get? I think WandaVision, right? A WandaVision and um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier were both pretty close on the docket. But I wonder how far along in production they were. I mean, we did see we did see clips from them in... Uh, that um, uh, yeah. MCU television trailer thing that dropped a while ago. I believe WandaVision is further along. I think they were still, they were done filming WandaVision, I believe. And I think that they still had to, f they were part of the way through filming Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm. So that one might get bumped a little bit, but who knows? Um. Either way, I'm excited to see all of them once we're finally able to. Uh, it did work out well that Mulan got bumped, <laughs> given how I had to mess around with the schedule after our Dragon Age tangent last month. Yeah, I, I just, I wish I was confident things were going to be reopened come July. Yeah, well, good yeah. news. I have Mulan on the schedule for November right now, so. Excellent. We have regular room. <laughs> we do. 
And if it ends up coming out in July, we're all able to go to the movie theaters. I can swap it with our August topic. It'll be fine. But if for any reason uh, it doesn't, that schedule change, not our fault. No, that will not be our fault. Um, and we cannot blame it on the rise of Skywalker, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of which, should we talk about episode nine or just end our episode? I, I mean, mean it's been disappear. a great episode, guys. Uh, <laughs> catch you all next month. <laughs> so actually, I get to turn it over to Jay to lead this part of the discussion, because when we originally planned to do this episode back in J- January, I think it was January. Yep. <laughs> I think I was super busy and I wasn't as gung-ho about I was super busy and not as gung-ho about the movie as I think I was the least gung-ho about it out of the three of us and so I was like can one of you please lead the episode I don't have time right now so Jay volunteered to do as such and he wrote a bunch of like very detailed notes and then the universe conspired against us in January and then I don't remember what we did in February oh we talked about that too and then I took us on a tangent in March, which means it's now April, <laughs> so we could pretend that we, uh... Or we could talk about Mass Effect. Okay, that's like, okay, that we've got to save that one. Because <laughs> someone hasn't played Citadel yet, Jay. It's only been how many years? I have time. Jay. Jay. I've played the entire series twice over since then. Yeah, but... And I played all of Dragon Age twice over since then. Jay. Look over there, it's distraction. And I'm running away. You could have that, that doesn't work so well on, on voice, does it? No, no. You could have no. segued to talk about Skywalker, but... You know you're in charge now, right? <laughs> yeah, alright. Let's, let's, let's get down to Rise of Skywalker. Um... So my first question was going to be about initial impressions and how many times have you seen it thinking of the movie theater, but since it's out on video as well, uh, first question will be how many times have you guys seen it and then what were your initial thoughts when you first saw it in the theater? Brian, I'll let you go first. So I've... I saw it in theaters twice, I think, since it's come out on home release. I've watched it uh, two more times. Um... Walking out of the theater, um, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that was a film that made some choices. So there was some weird stuff in there, but more than not, but I felt warm and fuzzy more than I didn't over it. I saw it twice in movie theaters. Uh, I have not seen it since it came out on home video yet. Not out of any sort of malicious intent but more because i'm too lazy to buy it on digital and i haven't gotten around to buying the blu-ray yet because i've been buying too many books um my initial impression was basically heartbreak uh because i have loved or at least very much liked every other star wars film upon the initial viewing and this one i didn't um I don't hate it. I wouldn't necessarily say that I dislike it, but like I did not love it at all. Um, And I had a slight emotional meltdown into ice cream. Um, 
I've come to peace with it since then. I mean, sometimes that's all we can ask. Yeah. What about you, Jay? So with this movie, it was it was especially difficult for me because um, so I had made the sort of brilliant decision of deciding to fly out of the country on the very day that it would release in the preview screenings. And so I was thinking, I'm going to miss the biggest Star Wars movie ever in like for two weeks because I'd be out of the country. So um, I was trying to finagle. And luckily, uh, Lucasfilm helped me out with an early screening of the film for media purposes. And, uh, you know, so I was all set to see the film, not get spoiled. And then a couple of weeks before I was set to see the film, uh, reading box office predictions for Frozen 2, of all things, somebody decided to spoil the entire ending of the film to me. What? Like, like I was literally just reading box office predictions of Frozen 2, and in the comment section, someone literally said, Ray is a Palpatine. Uh, Palpatine wants to, you know, inhabit her body, and then all the Jedi help Ray defeat Palpatine. I'm just like, why would you, like, why would anybody do that? Like, deliberately spoil the film like that in such a random context, too. But, yeah, so when I saw the film it felt kind of empty and I kind of wonder, is it because I didn't like the film or is it because somebody decided to spoil every major thing in the film before I saw it? And I still don't know which of the two it is. So did, did I tell you guys what happened to me in September with spoilers? Someone DM'd me during Dragon Con to tell me that Kylo Ren dies. What the? Why are people like this? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of someone who had previously sent me a really jerk message. Um, and so that was the point at which I locked my my DMs because I was like either. And the thing was, I could I didn't even tell anyone what someone had done. I had said that someone had sent me like a T-Ross, what I thought was a episode nine spoiler. But yeah, people were real jackasses about this movie. Like oh, yeah. regardless of whether you liked it or not, like the lead up to it. Ah, low key. I mean, an after, but like, ugh. Low key. That's kind of a reason I wasn't too excited to talk about this on a podcast initially, just because of all of the jackassery surrounding the meta fandom of the film. Yep. Well, it's funny because going into this, I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, maybe. Now that we have another film going on, it'll be sort of a palate cleanser behind the two years of drama we had after uh, The Last Jedi. And it turns out, no, nope, fandom is still gonna fandom. Just so stupid to me. Because I'm like, the fact that people were drawing battle lines between you either love The Last Jedi or you love Rise Skywalker. And that's just how it is. And I'm like, guys, we need to calm down. Yeah, I, have- I mean... You- there's a music video I can send you to watch. It's it's from Taylor Swift. It's it's really good. Maybe just just listen to it. Take some deep breaths. And it's like you can you can like both. You can dislike both. You can like one or the other. It, it just it, it I don't know why everything has to be like sides. Like there's there's group A and group B and it like <sighs> there are things right. I legitimately love and legitimately dislike about both films. I yeah, I, I don't right. want to be taking these black and white positions on them. I feel like we should we should have learned about this back in Revenge of the Sith when Anakin has it all. If you're not with me, you are my enemy line. But no, fandom gonna fandom. 
I mean, back then I was happy about that because he was joining the Empire, and look how look how things ended up now. Little did we Jay. know that was just a predictor of <laughs> fandom. Some oh boy! Decade and a half later. Anyway, okay. speaking of happy endings, or actually maybe not unhappy, not happy endings. Um, I was gonna say <laughs> that next bullet yeah, is not happy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's return to Rose Tico first because this is a podcast about you know Asians in space, or at least Asians in sci-fi fantasy. And we did an episode on Rose Tico. Um, we also want to shout out uh, John's tell that to Conjurecast about Rose. Um, so leading up to the film. Rose was sort of barely in the initial merchandising and then the few, you know, cause she wasn't in the group group shots. And then the few merchandise where she did appear, there were sort of shenanigans and then she disappeared from the merchandise when it actually showed up. And there's just a bunch of weird stuff around Rose. And then the film comes around and she's barely in the film as well. Uh, it almost felt meta at one point where Finn offers Rose a chance to join the main group of characters and she has to stay behind because she has to analyze old destroyers, which, you know, might be a reference to the Sith fleet, except they're not old destroyers. And either way, she can't analyze and also go on missions. I don't know. Um, I'm so and, mad about this. And then so it bad. turns out. Yeah. And it turns out that uh, she was with Greg Grunberg and they were working the CGI Leia footage and maybe they cut a lot more uh, allegedly they may have cut some film scenes with rose because the cgi wasn't working and i don't know what, what do you guys think of this do you buy any of this stuff no and i'm mad about it because like especially because like jj abrams said the thing that he was the happiest about that ryan johnson did was that he cast kelly murray tran great so why don't you use her i when we were looking at the lead up and it was kind of we could kind of tell that like Rose was not along on the main trio like fun and games stuff. I was like, okay, like not my ideal, but also I thought she had the Lando role. Um, in which she's not with the main crew, but she still has a significant role and she's playing a big part in the battle back back at base. And that's not how it was. Like I I thought she'd have the Lando role. I thought she would maybe like they would use her because they only had so much Leia footage. But no, no, they didn't. Yeah, because they did a big talk. Well, first of all, you know, we talked about how she got the awesome standing ovation at Celebration. So, like, the fandom was there for her. And then they talked a big talk about how, oh, she's a commander now and she's in charge of, you know, the Republic's, uh, the Resistance's logistics division and all that stuff. And despite all that big talk, they just... They didn't use her. And I, I don't know. It, it feels like they deliberately tried to pander to the, the last uh, Jedi criticism that focused unfairly and, and kind of racially, definitely racially tinged about Rose. And I feel like they were just pandering to that. Yeah, I don't know if it was pandering or not. It, fe it definitely feels pandery. Um, and it. I, I hope that would have been clearer to them early on when they were doing this, that even that even if their goal was, okay, Rose is going to be our touch point to Leia in this, I hope that they would have realized as soon as they knew that they did not have enough footage to get enough material there with Leia and Rose, that they needed to rewrite and find another way to use her, and that they didn't is just a huge disappointment. I don't get why. Okay, so obviously it was always going to be 
I feel like there was no, never any guarantee that the Leia stuff would work. So why wouldn't you write and film backup scenes? I mean, I, I guess I could say maybe it was because they were running on such a truncated schedule um, with uh, the whole Trevorrow getting booted, JJ brought on, but that's the only thing I can think of as to why they didn't have other options to go with. Jeez. Rose just deserved better. Like, she really did. I... And I think that's that's the I think that's the thing that's most disappointing about it. Like I don't know if it's on purpose for 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 Rose, if it's accidental, if it's a product of production reality. Like I don't want to you know necessarily accuse them of deliberately excluding her, but just everything put together feels hurtful. Especially because like she wasn't in the merchandising, she wasn't in the film. We felt like we were going to get a lot more. She she had a lot more to offer, and not getting that it it's just really disappointing. It it really just felt like. Not just, not just JJ, but everyone in every corner of Lucasfilm just kind of dropped the ball here. Uh, marketing dropped the ball. Uh, pr- toy production dropped the ball. Uh, ancillary writing mater- ancillary reading material dropped the ball. The filmmakers dropped the ball. Everyone just dropped the ball. Actually, we got more of Rose in the book that Justina Ireland wrote than. <laughs> Heck, I think you know what I think that Resistance Reborn had more rose in it than this than the movie did. Uh, that's I really like Resistance Reborn, but boy, that's damning with faint praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> I think that's just one of the things that like that's why I struggle with not being able to. Well, there's a there's multiple reasons why I struggle with not being able to love this movie. And I suspect we're going to get to one of them in a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, before we leave this topic entirely, um, since one of the issues with the Roche footage was supposedly issues with the Leia CGI, what are you guys' thoughts on, you know, how the film used Leia? Um, obviously, they were in a difficult position, especially with Episode Nine supposedly going to be Leia's film and you know Carrie Fisher passing away is something that nobody could have predicted or accounted for and I think we're all sort of still struggling with that um you know did the film did the film do the best they could with Leia I honestly don't know like I don't know what material they had available to them I don't know what they originally intended to do with the character and I, I guess part of the reason I'm less hard on this film than I otherwise could be is because I don't know what I would do in trying to make the best out of this just horrible, awful, tragic situation. I agree with that. But also... But also, I would not have had Leia's death be like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. That's that's where I have to come down on that. Like, it's a crappy, awful situation. Um, I suspect that everything they did with Leia was done with Billy's blessing. Um, And I think the fact that they used Billy as a stand-in for the flashback to Leia's training, that just warms my heart. Um. 
But yeah, I'm, I'm torn, really. I, I don't love how they use Leia, but also it's an impossible situation. Yeah, because yeah. I think that their original announcement that they weren't going to use any CGI and any sort of Rogue One style magic made sense and was very respectful. On the other hand, it sort of gave them limited options. Um, I will agree with you wholeheartedly, Bria, about both Leia's... The, the way Leia could have passed could have could have been different, especially like coming out of Resistance Reborn and, and just Leia being wary from everything there were there were ways if you needed to write her out or even if if, if they just needed to have her pass off screen and just keep her in the background they could have done but um i do feel feel especially happy when i i felt especially happy when i learned that it was a billy that did the the young leia flashback and seeing even just the behind the scenes photos of her as leia in the endor get up like she it, she looks spot on for for her mother and that's incredible All right, let's 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 try to get to some more um, light and and hopefully happy discussions about parts of uh, the film that we may have liked. Um, so let's talk about the new big three. What did we think of finally seeing Ray, Finn, and Poe adventuring in the film together? Did it work, and was it worth the wait? I was so happy. Uh, I love them together. That. There, I loved the banter between them, even even when it was like Ray and Poe fighting with each other. I like it, it. That felt so real, and so so very lived in with all of them together, especially with Finn being all like, "Guys, and it, <laughs> come it wasn't, on!" It wasn't like super angry fighting either. It's the oh, we are very close, and I we're about we're going to give each other a hard time, kind of thing, which I. <sighs> The chemistry is so good. I am a hundred percent on the OT three. Like, oh yeah, the three of them are together. I'm pretty. I especially after that that hug at the end, at the end. gets me so bad every single time because all of their faces as they see each other, and then all of them hugging Finn's face, and then Poe reaching for Ray's hand as like the callback to hands, hands. I just. That was perfect, and that was. I wish we had gotten more trio moments like that throughout not only this movie but the entire trilogy. Yeah, it. My biggest takeaway is, oh, it was. It's such a bummer that we didn't get it until this movie. Yeah, I, I agree because, like, you know, at the beginning of the film, you know, they were separated and they were doing this sort of same thing they did in the previous film, where you know Finn and Poe are on a mission together, Ray is doing her training, but then you know they came together on their their mission to guys find Exegol and track that that Jedi hunter ship, and like th- their their sort of vibe together while they were on that mission, um, you know, really made them feel like a new big three, and it's sort of the vibe that you know we know with the original trilogy so much with our original characters, um, and it's 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 a shame we didn't get to see that vibe until the third movie. Although I'm still glad that we we got to see it. Um, I was a little well. So what what do you guys think of what, when when the crew got to Pasana and they were doing their uh, first of all the shenanigans with the uh, the quicksand and the adventuring? Um, what like Poe had something to tell Ray, and I think JJ was and, saying, "Oh, it's it's because I'm force sensitive." But what do you guys really think was going on there? I don't even know. Like I'm willing to take that at face value. 
Yeah, I mean, we we got signs towards the end of the film that clearly he's Force-sensitive, so I'm willing to say, yeah, that's probably what he wanted to say there, but boy, that was executed in a weird way. Yeah. Because yeah, it really seemed like it was a romance thing. Like, everything about him being, like, unwilling to say, and yeah, that, that was strange. Yeah, and then you add in the stuff with with Zori, and who I, I struggle so much with all of this, because... I love Zori Bliss as a character. She's she's fantastic. I love her and I adore her. I hate that plot line. And yes. I hate the basically the you know the the no homo bit like, with it cuz uh, I I want to really really like her, but it like it's like she's there to just make Poe hetero aggressively heterosexual. Yeah, which is why then I can also believe that maybe I'm force sensitive was not the intent while they were filming. <laughs> like I, I sort of almost feel like they, they left it so ambiguous. So it could have been Finn trying to confess his feelings for her. Um, so when you combine all that together, but yeah, I, yeah, I do love Zori though, even though she flies a Y wing, which is garbage. I mean, in a um, vacuum. Yeah. Zori's cool. Oh, just the way she, just the way they wrote her to intersect with Poe's plot just did not work for me. I just also can't get over the whole Poe was a spice runner. I just, come on. You're going to tell me that Kez Dameron's boy. Oh. The Latino character. You're making a spice runner. Really? Really? He's on a secret mission for every level. He's on a secret mission for someone. That's what I keep telling myself. But I am glad that Alex Segura is writing the book that will address this. Yes. And I'm excited to read that book. That cover is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if we can say anything, you know, publishing is usually on it. So like and and they know what's up. So I'm I'm hoping to to get a good good outcome from that. Say publishing, make Poe buy. Please. <laughs> Rebecca Roanhorse tried really hard. Oh, that tie scene was spectacular. Oh, man. That entire book was just the two of them. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. I derailed. Sorry, Jay. <laughs> All right. So let's hold on to those happy feelings because uh-huh. um, speaking of uh, Kajimi and Zori Bliss, uh, we got Ray's parentage reveal there. Um, happy feelings so. for who? Yeah, Jay, come on. No, actually, did you actually like it, Jay? So th- this is something I, I really struggle with because like, you know, so leading up to the film, I was telling everyone my favorite, favorite Ray parentage origin is Ray Palpatine. And I think the reason I was I was doing that is it was so off the wall and absurd and dumb and also so utterly on brand for me that it was it was just my absolute favorite. Like I uncritically loved it. and then. The thing is, I never expected them to actually do it. And I think <laughs> that's where my problem is. Because, like, I was joking, you know, if Ray's a Palpatine, that means I'm not a traitor for supporting the Resistance because she's the heir to the throne. Except, well, Palpatine's around, so that makes that a problem. But then the second thing is, like, you know, I I wanted Ray to be somebody. The last Jedi happened, and I thought, all right, fine. She's she's Ray random. I'm okay with that. Let's move on from that. And, and if that's the story, that's the story. And I... I didn't like them retreating on that. 
and to go back to the original raise somebody idea. Like that's, I think the biggest problem. And then the way they said, Oh, you're, you you have his power. That's why you're powerful. And it's just, I think it does a lot of harm to Ray's character. And I never really felt like we got to see her wrestle with the idea of her identity. Like at most she tells Finn that he doesn't know her, but they could have done so much more with that. And I don't think they did. And it, it, it felt like, I don't know. It, it almost made me think like a, a game of Thrones style. Oh, we've subverted your expectations kind of twist for the twist sake. And I did not like that. Yeah, I I'm a, I laughed. <laughs> I like I literally said you have got to be bleeping kidding me, like out loud, normal talking volume level. <laughs> and then I just laughed. Uh that was definitely I, I think my reaction may have been muted just from years of reading legends. Uh I, I think my first thought was, well, okay, this is where we're going. Ken Palpatine. <laughs> Triclops! I will, I'm not gonna lie, uh, the name Ken Palpatine did flash through my mind. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm very much of two minds with the Ray Palpatine thing, but uh, that probably comes, we'll circle back to that when we get to talk about the end of the film. And I will say this, like, um, I do like that we finally got to see Ray's parents if she if she had to have established parents. And I kind of do definitely want um, to see their backstory and to see what it was like to, you know, be raised under Palpatine and then leave. I understand the novelization might address some of this. Um, I unfortunately have not read that yet. But um, I, I, you know, even though I hate the idea, my my sort of brain slash fan fiction part of my head was like, wouldn't that be a great story, though, about the young Palpatines leaving court? And, you know, yeah. Like, what, what, what if it was a, a morganatic marriage? What if she was like an unsuitable bride? And he's like, I love her anyway. And what if it just it just turns into like an old style, like 19th century style oh romance God. novel? I could be into that. <laughs> Jay. Oh, Jay. <laughs> All right. Oh. It's not that. <laughs> I know. I know from what little I've heard. I know, but speaking of not that let's talk uh, about the first order. JJ, the, I yes. feel so betrayed. I feel so betrayed by JJ Abrams. Go on. I, he did my son dirty. It's not fair. Do you mean your I, bastard son? Yes, my bastard orphan son of a kitchen, a kitchen woman and a commandant. Um, I, I went through a lot of emotions about Hux in a very small amount of time because when they're like, I, when he was like, I'm the spy. I went, I literally went, Armitage, what have you done? <laughs> because I was just like, okay. And then they had to, I was like, this is absurd. What the heck is going on? And then the movie got me back again when they said, I don't care if you win. I just went Kylo Ren to lose. And I was like, there's my petty boy. I'm so. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, this is going to be interesting. I'm excited for this because it's it's literally just Hux being like, screw. I'm so mad at Kylo Ren. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. Look what you made me do. And then they waste it. Like, they introduce that whole plot only to waste it and have 
pride just like immediately shoot him. And I, it's, it seems stupid to me because I thought, I think that uh, Richard Grant is, is a great actor. I thought he was nothing short of like charming and entertaining during the lead up and after he got cast, because you can tell the man clearly really loves Star Wars. But what was the point? You could have so easily given Hux that role. And then they just did it. I mean, the novelization, well, I guess we're talking about the novelizations um, later, but like, it helped some, but man, and, and don't get me wrong, like, Hux absolutely deserves to die. Like, I am not one of those people who is going to pretend that a character I like who has done some truly evil things deserves, you know, candy and lollipops and sunshine, because Hux does not. He He deserves to be put on trial for war crimes, but... He needed a better death. Like, what if he what if he doesn't die there? He remains on board, and he is instrumental in bringing down um, the trans the uh, the beacon that they're all using yeah, to get off Vexigal. And he would rather die and f- fuck over Kylo Ren than live. <laughs> Teed okay. it up for you, Bree. Yeah. Thank you. Um, or even like, what if what if he ends up like he basically splits the first order, and then you have a three way battle at Exegol between the first order, the resistance, and the worst order, and yeah, and the final order. I mean, or if or if the the first order and uh and the resistance team up against each other to fight the final order, and then the first order tries to do it, and then you know backstab they still end up losing. Yeah, they backstab and they still lose. That's way more interesting to me. But no, no. They had to kill my son. Although I do I, I do have in my brain how I can how he could live. But that's another story. He was wearing armor, he gets hauled off, and then he comes to and finds Ray Sloan standing over him, who just tut tuts at him. Oh no, Sloan's been dead, honey. Too soon. She's hiding out, waiting for the Empire to the true Empire to rise again, damn it. Brian, you do realize what you just described, right? <laughs> That's literally the final order. <laughs> yeah. What she thinks is the true Empire, her Empire. How does she know that Palpatine's still out there? Okay, alternatively, alternatively, she's got off to the chist and she and Admiral Arlani are hanging out. I will accept this. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I I'm, also, trying, I'm trying so hard to be good about and not yell more about Hux, guys. Before we leave this topic, I do want to point out that I actually, I want to pull a Captain America and say I understood that reference. I caught the Taylor Swift lyric, so please be proud of me. There were two different proud. songs. I know, two different two, songs I, know I caught both of them. <laughs> I caught both of them. My friend's going to be so proud. <laughs> Um, and then second, yeah, with Pride, I I kind of feel like he was trying to be Hux 2.0. Like, he was playing the role that Hux played in the original film. It's like, you didn't need that when you already had Hux, you know? It, it, but they reduced him to comic relief. And, you know, because it got a good line. Like, I'm the spy, probably got one of the biggest laughs out of anything the film got. But I don't think it did. And I don't even like Hux, but I don't think it, it did him any good. Like, it, it didn't do him well. I mean, it did set up a nice witty 
couple of lines between Poe and Finn. I'll give it that. I knew it. No, you didn't. <laughs> I think it's really just so indicative of, of where the film failed for me, though, because they, they would do things and they would get like 80% of the way there. And then they would just drop it or go completely a different way. And I'm like, you were, you were, you were this close. We were on the verge of greatness. And then. Uh, It's just another, it's just another tick in the evidence column that this film probably could have used another 30 minutes. Or not even that, like, uh, I'm jumping around here, but like another example of, of this for me is when we meet Jana and her group where she's telling Finn her story about how they rebelled and they turned. And I'm like, oh, they're going to Finn inspired a stormtrooper rebellion. No. Yeah. No, that would have stormtroopers rebelling. Coincidence. That would have taken yeah, one was, line to make a super powerful moment. Yes. You were this, again, they were this close to doing something. And then <sighs> I just, that's my biggest frustration with the movie. Is that they were they were so close to doing cool things and then they just kind of dropped it. But yeah, I will like, talk about Hux more. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Because <laughs> um, I mean, since we mentioned Janna, like I I really love the idea of Finn finding belonging in fellow stormtroopers that made the same decision he did. But I two things I hated about that. I think you nailed it on the head with him not causing the stormtrooper rebellion. And then I I really did not like. Finn's saying, "Oh, that's the Force." It's like it's it, it's con- it's your conscience. Like, don't don't put some mystic thing behind it. Like, I love the Force and everything with Star Wars, but like, he was being human, and so were the other ex-Stormtroopers. Like, can we leave it at that? Like, that's important too. Yep. All right, let's talk about the uh, the big uh, the big sheep in the room, His Imperial <laughs> Majesty. Um, the Dead Speak. Uh, it it. Everything about him was goofy. Like I, 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 I loved his. Whoa, whoa, hold on! Can the reporter play that line back, please? Uh, quote. <laughs> he loves laughing at himself. That is an absolute canonical fact. He always he loves laughter. He is a man of smiles. Mm-hmm. Is he though? Hmm. 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 Continue. But I think everything they did with him just it. You know, when we saw Ian McDermott on stage at Celebration, I basically fainted, but I was so excited to see him back in the film, even if it didn't make sense. And then everything they did with him came across as a cartoon character, starting with the dead speak, which is fine. Opening crawls are silly. You know, we had one that started with war after all, but it, it, you know. It was really weird to have them talk about Palpatine return and send a message to the galaxy, and then apparently you had to play Fortnite to actually hear it. So, like, the whole part of the story is off in a video game. But even that aside, like, it's like they got they got 50 to 80% of Sheev's character. They, they got the part from Return of the Jedi where he's very sort of sinister and he wants you to do something bad so he can become in charge. But they didn't get his manipulativeness. They didn't get his charm. They didn't get any of that. And... I feel like they could have done much more, much better with him than to say, I am all the Sith and blah, blah, blah. And I am all the, it it makes me ill just thinking about those lines. What do you guys think about how they used him? I think that the best use of Palpatine in The Rise of Skywalker was his laugh in the trailer. And then Ian McDermott's, roll it again. 
Yep. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he was very much a cartoon villain, but I kind of didn't mind he was a cartoon villain. I can't decide, like, how I... I don't necessarily love, like, that he was behind everything and manipulating Snoke, but also the jar of pickled Snoke stole, like, <laughs> me of... to no end. Oh, if we... <laughs> If we used show titles like we do on TSR, this episode would be called Jar of Pickled Snokes. I mean, it I still mean, can. You, I, I have news for you, Brian. You're the person who like edits and uploads this. You can name it whatever you want. Excellent. We are <laughs> calling this one Jar of Pickled Snokes. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. Honestly, I think it actually would have worked if if he was just a ghost and echo that that Ray encountered in the Death Star, along with or maybe even instead of the dark ray vision, um, just Palpatine's shadow, because her even if they had to leave her as Ray Palpatine struggling with her heritage, it actually worked better without a visible, like all too easy Palpatine as the villain instead of Ray's own conscience, you know, as the villain. Yeah, I think now that I think about it some more, I my biggest problem with Palpatine in this isn't any particular any particular line or anything along those those lines, but more the fact that it feels like the other trilogies were they became much more about choice. And yes, Ray clearly makes a choice at the end of this. Like people make choices, but they're pulled into this not they're pulled into all of this because they have to be, you know, like as opposed to Padme goes into politics because that's what she wants to do. Um, people being Anakin makes the choice to become Darth Vader. Um, in the originals, you have Leia. Yeah. Yeah. Leia and Luke have like have everything in their blood, but they both actively make the choice to become a part of of the rebellion they're not i really there. thought you were going to say a choice to be better i really did well they didn't have to make a choice to be better they're already better um but but do, do, am i making sense with what i'm saying like they they aren't pulled into it just because of their bloodline their bloodline is coincidental almost to why they become sort of in the center of it but they're already there well, I think that's kind of also why, like, the, the Ray random had its appeal, right? Because a lot of the people who were championing that, and I was not one of them, but they had a good point where how refreshing is it that somebody, you know, she she was just a scavenger. She was just a bystander, but she decided to be good. She just, you know, she was good on Jakku in the way she treated people. She wanted to get involved. She wanted Finn to get involved with the resistance. Like, she was always making all these choices and actively being part of the story. And now retroactively, actually, she was always important all along. And she had to be part of the story because Palpatine wanted her to be. Diet in the Force. That's the other line that makes me roll my eyes. And not because of shipping reasons. I just... I just roll my eyes. Well, I mean, it also makes me roll my eyes because of shipping reasons, but... Well, yeah, but... <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it also it hurts their story, because like, if you're going to set up Kylo Ren and Rey as a dyad or whatever, how much more interesting was it before when we thought, you know, Kylo Ren was the blood prince, right? He was the descendant of the Skywalkers. He had all this privilege, and he decides to be evil. And then Rey, who was supposed to be a nobody, decides to be good. Like, their whole 
pairing or antagonism or whatever they were doing uh, opposite each other um, worked so much better when one of them was somebody and one of them was nobody and the choices they chose to make as a result of that. Yeah, you're completely right. Yep. Well, of course, there were some nice things at the end. We did get sort of a creepy-looking Sith temple that gave me some good uh, Kotor, tu- Kotor Tu vibes. So, you know, that's Ooh, always a plus, even though Corbin I don't understand there. what the chanting was. Exactly. So that was awesome. The chanting uh, is just funny to me still at this point. Like, if it had been in, like, the soundtrack, cool. But the fact that there's just all these Sith standing around chanting... It's just like, why are they there? It's, just, it's like an audience of like a, a big soccer game. They're just chanting and cheering. And it's like, did, did, did Palpatine just hire a cheer section? He would, Maybe, though. I don't he know. He would. Like, where did all these people come from? Oh, God. See, I feel like even, again, I know I'm biased here, but I feel like this is a movie that you really can't think too hard about. <laughs> That's true. I feel like I would enjoy it a lot more if I just embraced it for just shenanigans and weirdness and just said, you know what? It, it's it's kooky. I think that would make everything work much better. <laughs> yeah. And then what did we think of Nick's favorite part of the movie? Wedge Antilles! Thank God um, they got Wedge in there. It might have been for a microsecond, but thank God they got Dennis Lawson to reprise Resident Tilly's. Were you guys also like the awkward random person who like got super excited and like cheered really loudly and made people look at you? Oh, you hell yeah. That was definitely What is wrong me. with you? It's like, you are in the presence of greatness. You cheer too, damn it. Yeah. That was like the one moment of pure happiness for me in that movie, I think. Which is Wedge Antilles. He was there. Oh. Did you guys know that he hops on one transparent steel leg? It's true. Great. You just woke up like 30 sleeper agents. God damn it, Jay. Well, I mean, they were sleeping. Now they're awake. That's, that's. By the way, I have Ewoks dancing in my nose. Of course you do. (laughs) I, so the the one quibble I have about the space battle is that they showed us the fleets in the trailer. I really wish I hadn't hadn't seen that. that. God, what a moment would that have been? Because like, it reminds me of like, you know, you know how when we watched Rogue One, obviously we knew there was a fleet battle, but when like Gold Leader and Red Leader showed up and none of us expected them to be there, like that would have been that times a hundred for that massive fleet, rebel fleet showing up at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh man. It was still, I mean, it was super cool and I loved it. And, and you know, it's, it's all worth it to see Lando and, and Chewie flying the Falcon together again. I didn't um, know. Everything is worth it for Wedge. Yeah, I didn't know how much I needed to see Lando and Chewie flying the Falcon. Um, that I, we we saw the trailer where Lando's flying the Falcon, but seeing the two of them in there together, that was that was a really lovely, lovely moment. Yeah, I mean, heck, even seeing him back on Pasana was just that felt so. It felt like a warm hug. And reassuring. Mm-hmm. He just kind of takes his helmet off, and I'm like, oh, Lando, <laughs> I've missed you. We needed you. And how happy Chewie was to see him. Oh, Chewie. 
Also, can we just shout out Eunice for how well he has played Chewie this entire yes. trilogy? Like, mm-hmm. I cannot think of anyone who is a better steward of the character than than he is. No. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. Sorry, I realized that, yeah, that yeah. sounded confusing. Um, yeah, no, he was he's been great. Um and I loved all of uh all of the cameos that we had. I wish we had gotten more cameos in that section. Oh, me yeah, because apparently like in, in the fleet battle, like they, you know, they basically threw in the kitchen sink in terms of ships. Like, you know, there's the ghost, there's the resistance, the ships from Star Wars resistance. But like it would have been nice to actually like get real cameos from them or at least get the camera focusing on them, because those are definitely like they're, they're even more than blink and you miss it moments. Like you had to freeze frame the film and like have special tweets from the Lucasfilm arts people to, to, to even find out that they were there or have Nick counting ships. But like. Yeah, it would have been nice to give give those cameos a moment to breathe. Yeah, more moments where you've got, like, even just the couple seconds you got on Wedge. More things like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it could have been easy, even if they had had more of the, the verbal cameos. Because, um, like you said, the the um, the Resistance ship was in there. Yes. How hard would it have been to have, like, Christopher Shaw and say something along the lines of, you know, fireballs here, you know. Or exactly. the Colossus or something like that. You already have, like, there are people you know have made it that far. Um, just little verbal cameos would have been good. Yeah, Especially and they have precedent because of yeah. General Hera in, in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I can kind of understand why they didn't do anything verbally for the ghost. Because I feel like that, they don't want to make that decision yet. Yeah, that, that feels like it's very much an off-limits thing until Dave decides what he wants to do with that. Yeah. Unless um, they had a bunch of space whales just randomly show up. Instead of the Alliance fleet, it's just a bunch of space whales. And Palpatine's like, what the hell is happening right now? Jay, you oh shut your God. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I did appreciate that we got all of the verbal cameos in the novelization. Yeah. I haven't One read the whole book really yet. Made... I skimmed that part. Of course you did. <laughs> I am what I am. I know, I know. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of the novelization, do we want to skip ahead or tackle the epilogue first? Um, a couple more things about the fleet battle. Um, again, Wedge Antilles is great. Uh, Snap Wexley punched out, woke up like two days later, and was like, How, where, where the hell is everybody? And then got back to the fleet and had a drink with Hobby. Um, <laughs> and... Um, Y-Wings still suck. Y-Wings always suck, but Zori Bliss is amazing. Imagine if she I could do General... something not a Y-Wing. Right? And also, I guess General Averis was there in a flying ATAT walker for some reason. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, no. No. Here's looking at you, Veers Watch. Salute. All right, uh... Palpatine's defeat and force shenanigans. What do you guys think of the I am all the Jedi, I am all the Sith, and the sort of voiceovers from the greatest hits of Jedi from film and animation? Listen, I am gonna I'm gonna own that I'm sentimental and schmaltzy, so hearing all of the voices of all of those Jedi speaking to Ray worked for me. Because that's who I am. I liked it. I just wish I was better at IDing voices oh, so yeah. I didn't have to rely on like other people telling me who some of them were. 
Uh, I do wish, though, we had seen the force ghost behind her of everyone. Like, I, that would have that would have been, been such a more than moment. anything else. I wish we'd gotten force ghost Anakin, if just that. Yeah, man, can you imagine live action uh, force ghost Kanan? Only if oh he's gosh. making the stupid faces he does in the show. <laughs> but no, I like that part too. I I did. Um, yeah. I like that part of that part. <laughs> right, right. It was it was it was a it was a good moment in a silly uh denouement. Um and then we got the epilogue with uh Ray bearing the lightsabers on Tatooine and then apparently, you know, never leaving Tatooine I, again because that's how movies oh work, right? <laughs> why are Jay. people so stupid? Before we Wait, talk why Bef- are people dumb? All right, continue. Before we talk about the epilogue, can I talk about how Ray ultimately defeats Palpatine? Yes. A lightsaber is not a weapon of attack, but is a tool of defense. Ray is defending herself from the force lightning with both lightsabers, and that is how she defeats Palpatine. That's a really good observation. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just a, just a little thing I really liked about how she managed to end him. And take her place on the galactic throne. What? No, Jay. No, Jay. No. She saw that vision and she said no to it. I know. So sad. <sighs> All right. The epilogue. epilogue. Yes. So because we, we already see talked her... about the reunion, right? Sorry. We already talked about their hug and the reunion and how that was like yes. the happiest moment. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, so we see her bearing the lightsabers and igniting her own lightsaber design. And she talks to the random lady and on Tatooine and explains that her name is actually Ray Skywalker. Uh, thoughts, feelings. Perfect. Like that was the one thing that was one of the few things that I came out of that movie going. This was the perfect way to end. And I understand, you know, like I I know some people are saying, well, you know, the Lars Homestead doesn't mean anything to her, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, but sometimes you have to sacrifice a tiny bit of character stuff for the grander story. Because this was the end of the Skywalker saga. And if you don't end the Skywalker saga with the twin sons of Tatooine, what are you even doing? Also, it's very possible that Leia told Ray, lots of stories about, you know, Luke growing up and she knew these things. And it just, it was so perfect that you had the force ghosts, force ghosts of Luke and Leia there. And she just sort of, how she buried the sabers and that she took the name for herself. And that I, it was just so beautiful and it was perfect. And you kind of felt like it was, it was the end of one thing, but also the start of her story now. Yeah. Like for, for the next chapter of life. And I thought it was very beautifully and perfectly done. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, oh, yeah, I sure I can see why. OK, maybe it's strange to bury the lightsabers on the Lars homestead. But I think it'd be weird if Ray didn't know at any point that was where Luke was from. And it's not like she can go to Alderaan and uh, lay the lightsabers to rest there. Sorry, Bria. Um but 
you you're right in that you do kind of have to step back and look at the whole meta narrative of Star Wars and there's something to there's something that feels warm and right about ending it where it all began and it feels appropriate that Ray is where this story began and at that moment Ray also decides okay here's where I start, here's where, here's where my story begins and me taking this name and saying, this is who I am. And another thing I like about her taking the Skywalker name is, and we're going to come back to this whole Ray Palpatine thing, while the Ray Palpatine thing is very silly in a lot of ways, there is one angle that I do really like, and that is rejecting toxic blood family and embracing your found family. And in taking in taking the Skywalker name, she is doing just that, which is why I absolutely love, I absolutely, absolutely love this the epilogue. Yeah. And it's the complete opposite of what happened with Kylo. Mm-hmm. More or less, minus the, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but no, I agree with you about that being perfect. And I also, I also love that she made her own lightsaber and that she built it out of her staff. Like that's what the hilt is, and that that lightsaber is my favorite thing. I I, I love I that so much. So badly. Um, I kind of wish it had been double ended, but the novelization confirms it's single blade. And I like kind of the reasoning they gave for why, but I was just like, this is perfect. Like that, her lightsaber is the synthesis of her past, her present, and all of the hopes of her future. I love it. Yep. Yeah, I I, I kind of like also how that lightsaber, like, I, I didn't see this until someone posted a, a gif of it, but like it flashes blue for a moment and then it turns orange. And like, it's nice to have, first of all, a non-standard color a lightsaber in a Star Wars film. We've we've missed that from the expanded universe. But also the fact that it it starts out being standard Jedi color and it becomes her own thing. And you can see that every time she ignites a lightsaber. Which and she has that cool ignition mechanism to with the little twisty wheel thing. Like so that's so really cool. cool. That is yeah. really cool. Um and then as for the Skywalker is like, you know, I had a hard time coming out of The Last Jedi, and I think part of the reasons I had a problem with that film was due to factors out of the film's control. Um, Carrie Fisher passing away and changing the trajectory of of Star Wars really hurt, and the fact that her story was kind of sidelined in that film because of the events of that film made me sad that we weren't going to get any Carrie Fisher as Leia again. And so seeing her in this film, both the Jedi flashback, but especially as the Force ghost in the end, like... It was really nice and heartwarming to see, you know, not just Leia as the Force Ghost, but also just like Carrie Fisher at the end of the trilogy, um, just as she started the original trilogy and, and getting to be there. Um, and then alongside Luke and her lightsaber is buried with Luke's forever. That that was a nice way to end it. The the novelization also does something I really like with the end there. And Jay, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this for you. Um, but as she's looking out and seeing Luke and Leia's force ghosts they kind of say to her take the name it's yours which to me was like okay we're we love you and we're adopting you into our family and that's just that that makes me feel warm and fuzzy 
She's always made the choice to be better. Mm-hmm. There it is. I like that we're gonna get through all of this without one of those references. <laughs> I was waiting for it. There you go. But yeah, I Ray embodies what it is to be a Skywalker, and I'm very glad she took the name for herself. Yep. Um since we brought up the Ray Carson novelization and since we at Conjure Cast are big fans of publishing, um, do you guys have anything you want to share? Any particular thoughts on the novelization? I unfortunately have not read it. The timing that it came out was not ideal with everything going around in the world, but I am definitely looking forward to sitting down and reading it. But uh, what do you guys have to say about the novelization? I've only skimmed some parts of it. Uh, again, I will use the excuse of new parent as to why I have not read a whole lot. But um, some takeaways. Uh, Fleet Battle is awesome in it. Um, Hux is mildly thirsty for Kylo, and the epilogue was great. Mildly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As the one person who's not a slacker around here. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, I did read the whole book and wrote a review of it. I... This is not one of the top tier novelizations like it doesn't it's not going to sit up there with Rogue One and with Revenge of the Sith. Um, There are very few novelizations that could ever climb to those heights. Correct. And those those two are God tier. But I mean, like Greg Carson is an excellent writer. I've really loved all of the Star Wars stuff she's done. And I did. I did enjoy this. Like she helped me. And I think I said in, in my review of it that it's difficult to judge a novelization purely on its own merits because you bring in baggage with you. Um, and I enjoyed her novelization as much as I possibly could have. I really liked how she wrote Ray and her hucks gave, I was like, thank you. This is just, I needed this. I needed his snarkiness. There's a whole section where like hucks pettily thinks about how he, like if he became the new leader, he would just like cut off all of Kylo's hair <laughs> because it's so unruly, just like him. Um, That's a good line. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah, it was. It's good. Her hucks is was good. Her hucks made me happy, and then it just sort of then made me sad that we didn't get more hucks. Um, but yeah, like like Brian said, the fleet battle stuff was good. Um, if you want to, I recommend picking it up. Like I said, Ray Carson's a great author. If you haven't read her other stuff, I highly recommend that too. Um. Yeah. Good hugs. Good Ray. I was happy. That's all I need. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, before we move on to my art corner, any last things we want to say about the film? You know, I think we covered pretty much every single character of note. Yep. I'll say that I don't know that there's a f- film in the saga that encapsulates Star Wars, the good and the bad, quite like the Rise of Skywalker does. All right, then. Um, That's a good note to end on. Uh, Let's move on to the art corner. Um, Now, my art corner is a little bit unusual for a movie art corner, which I usually talk about the art book. But when I prepared most of these notes, we were still planning for the episode in January. So the art book had not come out yet. Um, it has come out now. I have not read all of it yet. Um, I do find it interesting that, of course, there is absolutely no Palpatine in the book. And part of that is to do with sort of the production timeline and realities of the books being prepared. They're often prepared well ahead of the movie. Um, 
it was prepared apparently ahead of celebration. So they didn't know that Ian McDermott was going to be revealed. And, and even so, they wanted to make sure that when they're sending things out to be produced, they were having a tight lid on spoilers with that regard. Um, another important thing to note about movie art books is you always see a lot of concept art of things that didn't end up in the movie. And a lot of times you can see clickbait articles on this was the original idea for the film, but it's not necessarily true. A lot of concept art for films, uh, especially the recent Star Wars sequel trilogy, is spitballing ideas and just throwing things out on what sticks. And there's a lot of concept art that was never intended to be in the movie, but some of it is kind of cool. Like I, I flipped through and one of the cool things I saw was sort of Kylo Ren on a floating throne type thing. And, um, even though I, I have bad associations with Kylo Ren and Thrones moving on. Um, uh, the it, it sort of hinted at whether this was ever in the cards or not, the idea of Kylo Ren having more of a role as Supreme Leader. And I do kind of wish we would have seen more of that than Palpatine, but we got the movie that we got, and the art book doesn't necessarily mean that they were ever going to go another direction. Uh Speaking of art, though, and, and things they designed for the film, let's talk about Leia's lightsaber hilt for the moment, because that was one of the coolest things I saw in the film. Um, we got to see a close-up shot of it in the Star Wars show when they actually brought up the prop, and we got to see a little bit of it in the film itself. Um, and it's really cool. And even though I told myself I'm done buying expensive lightsaber hilts, if Galaxy's Edge ever ends up making uh, the Leia lightsaber hilt for sale. I, I might have to get one because it looks very, very cool. Oh, man. I need that one and the Ray. And I didn't think I was going to need any more replicable hilts. I'm trying to tell myself I'm only allowed to buy Ray that I can't also buy Leia. But man, tempting. It's pretty. It's real pretty. It's lovely. It's it's rose gold. Um, speaking of pretty, the Sith were very not pretty. Um, so we already talked a bit about how Exegol gave us major sort of KOTOR, Tales of the Jedi, Korriban vibes. Um, it is kind of funny how many secret Sith worlds that are out there that all have the same aesthetic. Like, you'd think they'd vary it up, but I guess the Sith have a brand and they're sticking to it. Um, and so does Palpatine, because, you know, he put red stripes on everything, and there's a Sith Final Order, and the Star Destroyers have red stripes, and the uniforms have red stripes, and she must really like red stripes, which I can't blame him for, because I'm sort of famous for yelling out red stripes whenever I see them in Star Wars. Um, there's also a brand new class of Star Destroyer. All those Star Destroyers we saw at the end of the film, they look like old Imperial Star Destroyers, uh, using the Rogue One CGI model, but apparently, according to the lore books they released they're actually a new ziston class star destroyer and they're they look identical to the old ones but they're bigger for some reason because i guess star destroyers always have to be bigger um have you met the empire (laughs) yeah yeah um and just because i had to a little etymological note on the ziston class star destroyer uh ziston comes from the greek word kuston which is a macedonian cavalry spear uh that uh, Alexander the Great's Hetairoi cavalry um, famously wield in battle. It's a really long cavalry spear. And so the bodyguards were used to be called Kustoporoi, which is basically uh, Zustan bearers. So I thought that was kind of cool. Sorry, I'm I, taking I love... a screenshot I... of your note there and just tweeting it. I was going to say, I was oh. about to say, I need everyone to understand that like he literally wrote out the Greek. <laughs> like It's in the Greek characters for all of this. For his notepad, it has to be correct. Otherwise, how would I know how to pronounce it if it weren't in Greek? 
Well, I sure as heck don't know how to pronounce any of this. Phonetically? <laughs> and in and, and, and fifth century Athenian style, which is the only way to do it. Wow. Jay. Jay. I'm sorry, this is actually peak Jay. Yep. <laughs> J- just what, I could do a whole episode on Greco-Roman themes and, and Star Destroyer names um, and no, just in no. Star Wars in general. I could. Jay, I will give you $20 to just do an hour by yourself recording that. The problem is I will do it. The hard part is making I sure that I can restrict myself problem. to 60 minutes. Jay, you have stepped into a trap because I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure this happens now. Okay. Yeah, heck, I'll tell you what, Jay, if if we if celebration gets canceled, you you're going to take the September spot for this. <laughs> and if All not, right. you're getting December. All right. So you I have several months happening. to prepare. See, this is what happens when I, when I say things out loud in, in, in the ConjaCast, then I have to do it. That's why we have an art corner in the first place. What have we say, learned? Have you not learned in 15 plus years of friendship with me that this is what happens? Uh, so to paraphrase what was uh, said about Louis XVIII, I guess I've learned nothing and forgotten nothing. <laughs> oh, boy. It's about right. All right. Finish up. Finish up oh. your art corner. <laughs> All right. Um, and then another sort of funny thing about the Sith Final Order is that for some reason there's a whole separate set of uniforms and logos for the Final Order because I guess they can't wear old Imperial uniforms. They can't wear First Order style uniforms. They have to have a whole brand new aesthetic, which, you know, honestly, I, I, I understand. Sheev is so very extra, but I admire him for it. Like, even when he's stealing the soul out of Kylo and Rey, all of a sudden... Like I, I, I swear his robes change color because they suddenly have this elaborate red like under clo- uh, uh, with them that you can only see when he's revived himself because I guess he needs that extra splash of color to show that he's back, which, you know, symbolically, I guess that makes sense. The Sith and red, it's always been their thing. Red's a good color. Yeah. That's a pretty solid and coincidentally, color. Coincidentally, the the red and black sort of robes also match the imperial robes of the Han Dynasty. So there you go. There's precedent for that too. Oh boy! Should we move on to the questions? Let's on to the questions. It. All right, I'll do. I'll go through them. Why not? Uh, Megan asked us any thoughts about the call signs in the T. Ross novel. I loved one in particular. Oh, and which one was that? I won't spoil it. Oh, you know which one. <laughs> I got a good guess. Uh-huh. I did think the use... Jay, do you care if we spoil it? Um... Because I know what Megan's asking us to talk about here. Uh, I'll go for it. Okay, so obviously the one I loved was Zay in Inferno Squad. Uh, I found the fact that Alphabet 2 is apparently there. Very interesting. Oh, quick. Crap. Which one was Alphabet 2? I don't know. I don't think they have numbers. I don't either, but it's definitely not Erica because she'd be she'd be lead. She would be. It my better be Will, damn it! Yeah, that's my guess for who it might be, but we'll see. Our good soft be horse boy needs to live. Listen, all of them might be dead. I don't know. Oh, Alexander Freed's gonna hurt us in a couple months. And then we'll do an episode about it. 
<laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Brian, did you have any other thoughts about the call signs? Uh, I really should have reread them because my sleep-deprived bl- brain is pulling a blank on what I read a, co- a while ago. Um, <laughs> I love the cameos that were in there. All of the uh, various Rebels stuff was great, especially Kaz getting chastised. Oh, oh Kaz, you try so hard, baby. Uh, buddy, buddy, you try so hard. <laughs> All right, and then the second question we have is from Andrew, who asks, how do you feel about eggs? Uh, F you, Tom Nook! This is Animal Crossing, for anyone who's confused. I might not have gotten the game if if, if somebody had told me about those eggs, because I hate those eggs more than I hate almost anything. He's gone to, like, every island in the world and planted those eggs there. It is awful. It's like an invasive species slowly intruding on everything. But it is true. I do love crowns. I went out of my way to get a royal crown basically after two days of having the game because I need it. Again. Peak J. Peak J. And I unlocked the emperor title yesterday, which made me me very happy. Of course you did. Of course. Ah. All right, should we wrap this episode up? Let's wrap this up. All right, so don't forget, if you guys have any questions for us to answer in a future episode, they don't have to be about our topic, clearly. Uh, If you want to chime in, you can tweet them to us via the Tasha Station account. Next episode, we're going to be talking about season one of The Mandalorian in May, because May is for Mandalorians. It's going to be May. (laughs) All right. This episode of the Kanji Cast has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Tashi Station. Uh, we are part of the Tashi Station network. On Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi Station. Jay is Admiral Jello. Bria is Chaos Bria. I'm Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. Uh, you can find us on the Tashi Station mega feed on the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find our columns and news at TashiStation.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. Next month, The Mandalorian. This is the way. <laughs>